Hi, thanks for joining us online. We're glad that you've chosen to access this message. It's so encouraging to know that God is using the ministry of Portico Community Church to touch the hearts and lives of people all across the world. If you have a story to share or a prayer request, we would love to hear from you at info at porticocanada.ca. To support our ministry, you can donate online by clicking on the Donate button at the top right of your screen. Once again, we're so glad that you've joined us. It's our prayer that this message from God's Word will deeply impact your life. Hey, good morning, everybody. Good morning. Oh, come on. Good morning, everybody. It's so great to have you in the room today, and if you're watching us online, we want to say a big welcome. Thank you so much for joining us, and we're praying, believing that God is going to use today's message to encourage you, man, that you're going to walk out of here like a spiritual giant, okay, that you're going to take the principles that we can learn from an unlikely candidate, from a man named Moses who started off as nothing and rose to be one of the biggest names In the history of mankind, how does that happen to an average person? Well, we're going to take the story of a man's life that happened so long ago, and we're going to see. The beauty in the scripture is that it still applies to us today. Even though thousands of years have passed, there's still lessons that we can learn from it. You know, I think I'm a good author, okay? But I don't know if in a thousand years from now, people are still going to be reading my book. But the Bible is not just a book. It is the Word of God. It's alive and it can speak to us. And I'm praying, no matter where you are, like I said, if you're here in the room or if you're somewhere at home or watching this on a, on a portable device somewhere, that God will just get a hold of your heart. Well, yesterday morning, I had the privilege of uh, being here at the church, speaking at the men's breakfast. Any men here this morning that were at the breakfast yesterday? Now, are you looking at me different today? I shared my story with them yesterday, and it was my personal testimony of how I came to faith and how my parents came to this country and all the crazy stuff that happened in my life in my early years. And I hadn't talked about it in a long time. And to be honest, I forgot about a lot of the stuff that I had done. I shared with them how I had a safe fall on my head and crack my skull open. I I shared about how I got, when my parents were here for one hour in this country, they lost me. They'd never seen a luggage carousel before. And apparently, neither had I at two and a half years old. So I got on it. It was like free ride. And when it went past those little rubber curtains, they thought I was gone. And then, magically, I came through on the other side. (laughs) So it was a lot of fun kind of recounting and just remembering, man, what God has done in my life. And sometimes we forget. Well, today we want to talk about what God... It did in the life of a man who started off as just another person. You know, we look at people in the media, we see people on these, you know, TMZ shows or the covers of magazines, and they're starring in these big movies, and they say, oh, they've, they've always been a star. No, they haven't. Or we see somebody who's wealthy or the CEO of a big company or leading a large ministry or doing something amazing, and we're like, yeah, it's easy for them. Look at who they are. Well, nobody has always been who they are today. Everyone has a journey. Everyone has a story. Everyone went through a process called preparation. And nobody wants the preparation, but we sure want the glory. I had to fight really hard not to say H after preparation. It was really... (laughs) See, some of you got it. Okay. (laughs) But I said it anyway, so it doesn't matter. Okay. 
the last couple of weeks, we've been looking at the early life of Moses. And um, we, we, Moses just finished the first 40-year block of his life. He lives 120 years, the Bible says. And it's divided neatly into three stages. So from birth until he kills the Egyptian is 40 years. And from the time he kills the Egyptian until he stands before the burning bush, that's 40 years. And then from the time he goes to Egypt and does the plagues till the time he dies on the mountain across from the promised land, that's another 40, days, 40 years. So we have these, these blocks of 40 and somebody asked me, they said, Pastor Joe, you're the teaching pastor. Can you tell us what the number 40 represents in the Bible? And I said, no, I can't. So I wish I had a better answer to that. I don't know why it's 40, but it's neatly divided into 40. And so now we're starting, we're going to start on this second journey, the second stage of his life. And so we looked at Moses, how he had this, you know, this uh, miraculous deliverance as a child, the enemy is seeking to have him killed, but God rescues him and provides for him. And we look at the life of Jesus, and we see this amazing parallel, same thing, that Jesus is born, and the enemy wants to have him killed before he can launch out into ministry, and then God miraculously saves him. And we're going to see throughout their lives that there's this parallel between Moses and Jesus, and Moses seems to be a prototype or a precursor, a forerunner from the Messiah who will come. And there's also a principle in our lives. I know that some of us have been called by God, have a call by God to do something great for him, and the enemy is trying to stop it before we get on the journey. But just like God rescued Moses, just like God rescued Jesus, you know what? He's going to rescue you too. No weapon formed against you shall prosper. But that's a whole other message. We'll wait for that series. You know, so he's raised in the home of Pharaoh for, for 37 years, and he's being groomed to be the next Pharaoh because the Bible tells us that he had no sons, Pharaoh. He just had daughters. And Moses, being the adopted son, he's being groomed to be the next ruler in those days of the world. Today, you know, the, the U.S. presidency carries this, you know, the, this high, high standard. But in those days, it was Egypt. That was the place and the seat of power. And Moses was being groomed to take that. All he had to do was behave. All he had to do was conform to who they were telling him to conform, but he couldn't do it. He had to be himself. And you know what? It got him in trouble. I've gotten in trouble once or twice in my life for being Joe Amaral. <laughs> but that's okay. I'm still here. <laughs> and so Moses receives everything in the palace. All he had to do was just conform, but he doesn't. He, he, he jumps out ahead of God, and he strikes down the Egyptian. And now there's a death warrant. There's a warrant for his arrest against Moses because he's killed a card-carrying citizen of Egypt, and Pharaoh issues a warrant for him. And so he flees, you know the story, and he gets to, to Midian. And when he gets to Midian... He's around the well, he saves the woman, he goes in, he, you know, you know the story. But this is what's fascinating, that we have eight verses to sum up 40 years of Moses' life. If you ever, see, there's been speculation that maybe a female had written the book of, of Genesis and Exodus. This is proof that a woman did not write this portion of the Bible. <laughs> Because they described 40 years in eight verses. That would not happen. 
You know, I'll come here to the church throughout the week, and I'll spend an eight-hour day here. I'll go home, and Karen, my, my dear wife, will say, how was your day? And what does a man say? Good. She goes, and? It was good. It was a good day. <laughs> women, well, women require, what is it, 30 million words a day? No, that's okay. Women like to talk. That's okay. They, they love to share and expound, and men are just very to the point. And let me give you Moses' version of 40 years of his life. He goes, so I was like born and stuff. And then I was like in a river, and then like this lady saved me, and then I killed a dude, and then I like ran, and then I met these chicks, buy some water. And then her dad, like, invited me for a meal, and sent, so then I, like, married her, and then we, like, had kids, and then, like, I met God. That's 40 years of a man's life. And it's comical, and we forget sometimes that the Bible is about real people. In fact, written by real people, inspired by God, but written by real people with experiences. And so Moses lives out these 40 years of his life, and he just, he kind of, he puts his head down, he commits to the task, he knows what he's done, he's willing to pay the consequence of his actions, something he did so long ago, and he just kind of resigns himself to the fact that this is it. This is all life has to offer. If I don't die, it's a good day. And he's eking out this existence in Midian. And he's prepared just to live it out for the rest of his life. And every day he goes to work. Every day he does the same thing. That's called mundane behavior. That's called living in a rut. Have you ever felt like you've been stuck in a rut? Do you guys know what a rut is? But we're going to talk about that. But in the midst of this rut, in the midst of this mundane activity, something incredible happens. And that's the beauty of the mundane because it provides an opportunity for the supernatural. We're going to spend some time today in our key text, and we're going to find it in the book of Exodus chapter 3, verses 1 through 5. In verses 1 to 3... Explain the experience of Moses actually leading up to the bush to meet God. And the next couple of verses are God talking to Moses, and he begins to lay out this call that he had on his life. So if you're at home, if you're here today, and you have your apps opened up, or you have your bulletins, or the website, whatever it is, go ahead and make sure you're tracking along, and let's start with our first point, okay? And it's this. It's not just a nice way of wording it. There's absolute truth in the statement that your mundane moments are never meaningless. They can seem meaningless. When you're stuck in a relationship that's got no communication and you're feeling the love is gone, when you're stuck at a job that you feel like you've maximized yourself and you can't go any higher, and it seems like a mundane experience, let me tell you, there is meaning in the mundane. And so Moses has this experience, and he comes to a place called Mount Horeb. Let me show you a picture of Mount Horeb, just to kind of set it for you. Desolate. Nothing is there. Last week I was at our Milton campus, and I compared Midian to the surface of Mars. You wouldn't know the difference. There's no life. There's nothing there. But in the midst of this mundane process, God has something incredible in store for Moses. 
Now, I don't know if you know this, but Mount Horeb or Mount Sinai, as we've come to know it, is a a contested spot. There are at least three different places that people believe could be the possible Mount Sinai. So on Tuesday night, what I'm going to do is, because I don't have time, and it's not really the place to go go deeper on this, but we're going to look at the possible sites for Mount Sinai, and we're going to map out the journey of the Israelites and try to come to a conclusion as to which one was the actual mountain. Now, has anybody been coming out on a Tuesday night? Let me see your hand. Where am I? Oh, yeah, there's Mama Forrester. She's always there. (laughs) Next to my mom, she's my biggest fan. God bless her. If you haven't been, there's about 170, 108 of us who gather in the gym, you know, every week. It's nothing fancy. There's no coffee. There's no, there's no worship team. It's just we get up there, and we get into the Word, and we go for an hour. I respect your time within about five minutes, and I'll set you on your way. So this Tuesday night, we're going to look at the, the possible places of Mount Sinai. Now, let me explain what a mundane experience is. We all have it. You may not know you're in one, but sometimes we get in one. Tomorrow morning, some of your alarm clocks are going to go off at 5 a.m. I'm sorry. Anybody have a 5 a.m. alarm clock? Sorry. 5.30? How many sleep in until 6 a.m.? 6 a.m. You're going to get up tomorrow morning. You're going to force yourself out of bed. And then you're going to make a decision can I go a day without showering? No, no, I should pop in the shower. You're going to force yourself, you're going to get in the shower, you're going to shave, you're going to brush your teeth, you're going to go down and get a coffee, or maybe you're going to stop in at Starbucks or Timmy's on the way in, you're going to get a coffee, you're going to get to work, and you're going to go, you're going to stand behind your cash register, or you're going to sit at your desk, or get on the assembly line, or whatever it is that you got to do tomorrow. And then you're going to realize, oh, no, there's a 10 o'clock meeting. I didn't finish my report. And you're going, to, you're going to eke out that report. You're going to go through your day. And then you're going to have your nice lunch break. And I don't know about you, but growing up Portuguese, <laughs> there it is again. <laughs> I always seem to find a way. <laughs> growing up Portuguese, this is what lunch looks like. The leftovers from the night before, it gets put into a bun You're laughing because that's some of your lunches tomorrow. (laughs) Carmo Giovanni, a dear Italian friend of mine, one time came to school with a piece of lasagna in his bun. (laughs) That's a lunch, man. (laughs) And then we're going to get through the day. We're going to get home. You're going to fight traffic. And then you're going to, I don't know about you, but I get out of my work clothes as fast as I can into my awesome Star Trek pajamas. (laughs) And you eat your meal, you sit on the sofa, you just kind of veg for a while. Maybe you watch a TV show or two, or you sit there on on your mobile device and you scroll through your news feeds on Facebook or Twitter or whatever it is. The next thing you know, it's time for bed, and guess what? You're going to do it again the next day, and then it happens again. Then it happens again. Then it happens again, and next thing you know, 40 years have gone by. Aren't you encouraged this morning? Okay. (laughs) But here's the beautiful thing. In that mundane process, God desires to meet with us, and God often does. That's why the supernatural is so supernatural, because it's out of the ordinary. 
And here, God intersects space and time to meet with Moses. Think about that. The God who creates the universe stops, steps outside space-time and says, Moses, I have a mission for you. Moses, I have a message for you. And he's so concerned with Moses and his people that he steps and clothes himself in humanity. He comes down to earth so he can speak a message to us. That's how much God loves us. That's how much God cares about us. And although Moses accepted his circumstances, it didn't mean that it was meaningless. Moses accepted this new reality. In fact, so much so that he even named his firstborn son after the process. He named his firstborn son stranger, foreigner, because he said, this is my life now. These will never be my people. I will always be a stranger to them. I will always be a foreigner to them. And he kind of accepts this reality, and it's just another day at work. But then one day, something happened. I was thinking about this as I was preparing over the week for for the message today. And some of you know that in 2002, I had the privilege of going to Israel for the first time. And when I got there, it kind of blew me away. How many people have been to Israel before? Okay, if you've not been, please make sure you go after this trip. We're going to be doing trips down the road to Israel. If you have not gone, I would encourage you uh, to, to come with us. And so I get to Israel, and, you know, I, I fall in love with the culture and the people, and, and it, it totally blows my mind. I come back, I'm excited, and nobody will have me in their church to speak because I'm just Joe. I'm just some guy, some Portuguese kid, a high school dropout, with no famous names in my family, nobody would have me in their church. And so a dear friend of mine said to me, hey, why don't you come and preach in my church? He says, how much damage can you do on one Sunday, really? (laughs) His exact words. So I went in, did a little bit of damage, (laughs) told him Jesus never went to church, that he never read the New Testament, and that he wasn't a Christian. Some of you are freaking out right now. Come out Tuesday night. We'll talk about that. So I was going from small church to small church and said, hey, this is my life. That's fine. I'll just go from small church to small church. And I just kept doing this, kept doing this. Then about a year later, uh, I got an email from a a fairly large television network. And they said, hey, um, we'd love for you to come out and do an interview with us. I said, okay. And I'd never done TV at that point. People think, oh, it's so easy. You're on TV all the time. Yeah, but I wasn't always. There was a first time I had to do it, and I was very afraid. Because everywhere I went, people told me, Joe, you have a great face for radio. (laughs) Yeah. So, thank you. I, I fly three and a half hours to this place, get in my rental car, and drove two and a half hours south to the TV studio, I get there for an eight-minute interview. This is normal. I've flown to Dallas, to L.A., everywhere you go, it's eight minutes. Ten minutes if they have a little bit of extra time. So I walk into the place. They take me to the green room. They take me to the makeup room. I've never done this before. I'm a dude. I don't do makeup. But I did makeup that day. And I get on there, and I'm ready to do my eight-minute interview. So the guy asked me a question. I told him what I just told you. Jesus wasn't a Christian. He never went to church. He never read the New Testament. He was this. He was that. He was that. 
And it came to the end of the commercial, to the break, and he said, and we'll be back right after this. And then the host of the show came over and smacked me in the leg. I said, that was odd. He said, that's how you do television. I said, oh, really? He goes, do you know how good this interview was? I said, no. It was so good that nobody's going to go pee during the commercial break. Because nobody wants to miss what comes up next. I said, wow, I made people not pee. That's amazing. (laughs) You're welcome, Portico, for that story. But little did I know. Well, he said, stay and do another segment. Stay and do another segment. They flew me out the next week. I did five more full shows with them. And that launched me into something that I never saw coming. In the midst of the mundane, God did something great. In fact, it launched a TV show that lasted for 10 years. I can't believe what God did, but God did it. And we can ignore that unusual situation and say, oh, it was a one-time experience. Or we can look at it with anticipation and say, God, what are you doing? You see, Moses' faithfulness in the mundane, in that rut, eventually brought him to this place of opportunity. It brought him... His faithfulness brought him to this crucial moment in his life. And when he got there, God said to him, Moses, I want you to remove your sandals because this is holy ground. And I've often wondered, well, what does that have to do with anything? Why did he have to take off his shoes? I mean, it's just soil. Isn't the earth God, so shouldn't the whole earth be holy? What is it about this particular place and opportunity? Why is that holy ground? And why does he have to take off his sandals? Well, there's an incredible connection, and we miss it because of the way the Western church sees the Bible sometimes. But there's an incredible connection between the removing of sandals and a very, very ancient principle in the Scriptures And on Tuesday night, we're going to talk about this. It seems so mundane. It seems like shoes. I read a book called Jews and Shoes. (laughs) It's a real book. Google it. And I learned something about the connection to a practice in the Old Testament that blew my mind. And when we read the Bible and we kind of keep the culture in front of us, we see things that we didn't see before. So seriously, on Tuesday night, I want to take some time and I want to go through what that meant. And what we learn from this situation is that although God told them to do that, to take off his sandals, holiness isn't reserved for one location. God desires and wants us and expects us to be holy everywhere we go. And so we have this encounter in the midst of a mundane process. And Moses had a crisis because he had killed a man and he was running and hiding. But here's the good news. You don't have to have a crisis in order to have an experience with God. But we're stubborn. And I'm pointing the finger at this Portuguese man. There it is again. Jeez. We're stubborn, and sometimes we need a crisis to get our attention. A couple of quick examples of encounters in the midst of mundane in 
In Matthew 17, the Bible says that Jesus and his disciples were, were traveling around the countryside of Israel. They were doing ministry. Things were going good. But it was every day the same thing. Get up, preach, and do this. Go to bed. Get up, preach, do this. Same thing. In the middle of a mundane opportunity, they go up to a mountain, and Moses and Elijah appear before them. In the midst of a mundane existence, the supernatural occurs. We all love to quote Second Chronicles chapter 7, where the fire of God fell and the priests couldn't stand to do their work. They were knocked down by the power of God, and people say, wow, that must have been an awesome service. Actually, it wasn't. It was just another temple service, just another day. But in the midst of this mundane function, God stepped in. So are you having a mundane moment? Good. It could mean God is up to something. Well, here's the second point that we want you to take away this week, and it's this, that you are invited to partner with God in his mission. You are invited to partner with God in his mission. Here's the truth. God doesn't need us to accomplish his purposes. God can do it. Did you know that? God is big enough. He is able to do it. But that's not how he chooses to operate. He says, Joe, I need you. He says, Pastor Dan, I need you. He says, Barry, I need you. I need you to partner with me so that we can reach the people around you. The God of creation who speaks the universe into existence says, I need you. Guys, that's huge. But what do we do with the call? What do we do when God asks us to do something? Well, the truth is, is that it's an awesome, awesome privilege and honor to be asked to join God in his mission. And I know I don't always feel worthy. I know that I don't always deserve it. But I'm so glad that he chooses anyways to partner with me. He calls me, but I have to answer. I'm going to look at a couple of consecutive verses here. Exodus 3.7 says, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers. And I am concerned about their suffering. So God says, I have seen, I have heard, I am concerned. And he says, Moses, I'm going to do something about it. And Moses says, that's great, God. That's awesome that you're going to do something. You should save the Israelites. They've been suffering for over 400 years. That's good. In fact, God, I am so on your side, I'm going to pray for you that you find the right man for the mission. Godspeed. (laughs) And so often God says to us, I want your family to come to know me. I want your neighbors to come to know me. I want those people at work to come to know me. I want that lady at the grocery store that you see every week, I want her to come to know me. And you say, God, that's great. Do it, God. And then he pulls an Exodus 3.10 and he says, I'm sending you. (laughs) Me? I'm sending you. Yes, I could do it. But I'm sending you. God says that he wants to work with us in order to accomplish his mission. So now go, he says, I'm sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. And 
Moses says, God, I, I don't know. I mean, this is a great plan. I want to see my people set free too, but I really think you're barking up the wrong tree here. I really think you're talking to the wrong guy. And we begin to to self-doubt, and we begin to give God every excuse in the book of why we can't do it. Do you think God doesn't know our circumstances? Do you think God is unaware of the things that have happened to us, that are happening to us, and maybe even the things that are going to happen to us? Do you think that our actions catch God by surprise? Our situation does not catch him by surprise. He is always working in the background on our behalf. Moses is given excuses, and while he's given excuses, I can't talk, I can't do this, I can't do that, God's already spoken to Aaron and says, Aaron, go see your brother. Moses hasn't even said yes yet, and God's already preparing the circumstances for the mission. God doesn't give us anything that we can't accomplish. God doesn't give us anything that we can't handle. When God calls us, he equips us. When he calls us, he provides for us. When the Israelites went into slavery, it didn't catch God by surprise. In fact, in Genesis chapter 15, verses 12 and 14, God spoke to Abraham and he said, listen, I'm telling you, I'm going to make you a great nation and all these wonderful things are going to happen, but for about 400 years, your, your offspring are going to be slaves in a foreign land. So when it happened, it didn't catch God by surprise. He knew it was coming, and he was preparing the leader. He was preparing the purpose of the person who, in this case, was Moses. And now here's an encouraging thought. The third point today is this, that you are God's choice for this moment in time. God has been preparing you all your life for this moment in time. But so often, we self-disqualify. Me? Oh, Lord, no, no. Send Pastor Dan. He's a much better speaker. Me? Oh, no, no, no. God, send, send, let, let Pastor Dwayne lead worship. No, no, not, not me. No, 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 not me. By the way, never stand beside Pastor Dwayne when he's not leading worship. Because <laughs> he's off doing his thing, and I never looked so white in all my life just standing there. But we disqualify ourselves. We're like, oh, it's great you're sending him. But what if God wants to send you? There's a man in the Bible named Jonah. You know his story? Look at this map of how far Jonah went to disobey God. (laughs) Like, he's in Israel, and all he has to do is go a couple hundred miles up the road to northern Syria and preach. That's all he has to do. But he doesn't want to do it. So what does he do? He gets on a boat and he goes as far as was humanly possible in those days. He wanted to go to Spain. He gets on a ship and he's planning to go over 4,000 kilometers away. And just like Jonah, sometimes we choose our path just to avoid the mission. We work so hard to not do the mission that it would have been easier just to do the mission. And sometimes that gets us in all kinds of trouble. 
Moses may have felt disqualified because of the decision that he made so long ago. And I know that if I were to sit down with each and every one of you, or at least with several of you in this place this morning, and said, what's disqualified you? You would have an answer very quickly. Well, this one time I did this, well, I did this, or this happened, and and that happened. And we have so many excuses. And what we do is we allow our past to hold us in the present so that we don't have a future. If we don't let go of the past, if we don't surrender that to God, my friends, it's like an anchor tied around your ankles that will keep you beneath the surface every single time. You can see the sun. You can see where you need to go, but it holds you just beneath the surface. And today, I want to encourage you to let go. And so Moses gives God excuses saying, I can't even, I can't even talk good. I can't even speak well. I'm not eloquent. I don't have good words. In fact, I, I'm slow and heavy in my tongue. Now, I'm going to take time and develop this out midweek at our Bible study, okay? Because in the New Testament, the Bible says that Moses was a man who was powerful in words and in speech. But he told God that he couldn't speak. Well, which was that? I want to explore that a little bit further this Tuesday night. You see, God has three letters in it. G-O-D. The first two letters of his name, they spell go. Two-thirds of his name is about going. It's about doing. God has not called us just to be comfortable. He's called us to obey and to do something great. We must leave our comfort zone if we want to accomplish something great for God. Every time we see somebody great, we think, oh, it's so easy for them. They had to make decisions and make sacrifices to get there, and so do we. Do you want that victory? Do you want that thing? Do you want to make it to the next level? Then we need to obey and step out of our comfort zone. No more excuses. No more excuses. We need to say, God, I am willing. And once Moses said yes to God, God said, what's in your hand? Did Moses say, I have a five-year plan in my hand? Let me walk you through my PowerPoint presentation, Lord, of how I'm going to accomplish all these great things. Moses had no idea. He just said, "Uh, here I am. In fact, Isaiah said the same thing. God said, whom shall I send and who's going to go? And Isaiah looked around and nobody was stepping up and he said, send me. I may not have it all together. I may not have everything right, but I'll go. And so God says to you today, what's in your hand? What have I given you that you can use to accomplish my purposes in you and through you? And we don't have to get stuck in that process. You know, Moses named his first child, like we said, a stranger, a foreigner. That's in the beginning of Exodus. And by the time we get to Exodus Exodus 18, he has a second son. And I don't know if this is nine months later, nine years later, 30 years, it doesn't tell us. It just says that he had a second son. And the other was named Eleazar. For he said... To the first, because I'm a foreigner, but this time he says, because the God of my father was my help and delivered me from the sword of Pharaoh. You see, he grew in the process. He didn't stay stuck in that rut. 
He saw, he knew that God had a greater purpose for him. And just like he grew in the wilderness, he grew in the midst of a mundane, we can too. Can I ask you to stand to your feet this morning? And I want us to just perform this act of surrender and say, God, I want to let go of my insecurities of my inequities, Lord, I, I want to get rid of my excuses. I want to let go of my insecurities. Lord, all I have is this stick, but if you can use it, it's yours. And so is the man holding the stick or the woman holding the stick. Would you surrender yourself to him this morning and say, God, I want to partner with you. Lord, I want to find meaning in the mundane. I want to work with you. And Lord, I'm honored that I'm your choice to be used for you in this time. This morning, we make a choice. We can live in that rut. We can live in the mundane, put our heads down and say, oh, woe is me. Or we can look up and see the presence of God in the distance in the bush and go to it and respond and say, God, I'm willing. I will go. Is that you today?